matters like Reppin' Jersey, hometown, the Garden State From Superstorm Sandy to Bridgegate yeah. 24-7, 100 real news breaks While we eating Libby's and Midway cheesesteaks From Maddie Fast to Matthew White Keeping it lit, it's always Tom's Rivers running through the mic uh, No room for haters, no time for fakers nah. But when you rock the mic with the one and only Matt Breaker Welcome to the Make or Break Podcast I'm your host, Matt Breaker here we'll talk to interesting people, hear their stories, and learn about their journeys. First up, a good friend from the Jersey Shore, a comedian, writer, podcast host, and even athletic trainer, Angelo Gingerelli. Angelo, thank you for joining me on the debut episode. How are you, my man? What's going on, Matt? Great to talk to you again. You too. How uh, are you emerging from uh, quarantine life? Uh, pretty good, man. I spent the last 16 weeks or so in my house with my wife and my daughter, everybody working from home, homeschooling. Uh, it, it, it's good. I mean, it, it's good to kind of reconnect my family like that. A couple of, you know, trials and tribulations like everybody else and kind of ready to get back out of the world. But uh, yeah, we got, we got through it. So we're good. Everybody I know is healthy and uh, thankful for that. So what was, uh, what was the best part of quarantine for you and, and the worst? I, uh, I think the worst part is just the uncertainty of not knowing what's going on in the world and when it's going to be over. You know what I mean? I'm a, yeah. I just me personally, if I can see a light at the end of the tunnel and know I'm in the middle of something unpleasant, but it's going to be over on this date, I'm okay with that. But the idea of just, we started something back in March and with no indication of when it might be over. And now we're in mid July and we, maybe we kind of know when it's going to end, but not really. That's really frustrating for me. Uh, some of the best things I think were just kind of catching up on projects around my house and my landscaping and then spending a lot of time with my daughter and doing scores with her every day, which is, I never, I never did that before. So like everybody else, man, it's a cliche at this point, but it's true. Teachers are gifted people that should be paid better than they are. Uh, mm-hmm. teaching kids of any age something is a, is a challenge and I, I give them all the credit in the world. It's funny. That's the uh, consensus I've heard from pretty much every one of my friends or relatives who has kids. Uh, that's the appreciation yeah, level man. for teachers is through the roof right now. And I got, I got lucky in that my daughter was finishing up the second year of pre-K. She's going to kindergarten next year, right? So you got the regular dealings of a four-year-old to just sit down, do your work, listen to the Zoom call. But the work itself was easy for me because I'm, I have a higher than four-year-old reading and math level, right? But you got so many parents out there, you got kids in like freshman, sophomore year in high school, and they're trying to teach them trigonometry and algebra two and Spanish, and they haven't taken a Spanish <laughs> class since 1990. I can't imagine what that's like, where you got to deal with the, the kid's personality and the kid's attention span, plus the, the actual academic work being hard. I give those people even more credit. If you look at it that way, I had it easy. Absolutely. And what's it been like for a comedian? Like what, what kinds of, you know, trials and tribulations and, and, and then adjustments are, are you making with, uh, your, you know, your comedy? It's, it's hard, man. I, you, I, I, you try to be funny online the way everybody else does. Obviously, until, until really July, there was nothing. From middle of March until July 4th weekend, there was no shows, no open mics, no improv, because you couldn't put people in a confined space and most comedy clubs or bars that have shows are very small, confined spaces, right? Um, I got, so I just got, I tried to keep in touch with everybody. I started a group of my comedian friends on Facebook, um, which I think was kind of important because I didn't want people to just check out, right? I wanted to keep in touch and yeah. bounce ideas off each other and be ready when we get back. And I think I did a good job of, of keeping everybody in touch and in a loop and stuff like that. Um, and then this past month, 
He's going to do some outside stuff at the Brighton Bar, which has been really fun. Obviously, weather dependent. Like, for example, the first two Mondays were great. Third Monday, we're supposed to have the show. It got rained out. There's thunderstorms. And that's kind of the way we're going to be at the mercy of the weather for a while, along with the mercy of the coronavirus and at the mercy of the government warnings and, and rules and regulations of where we can gather and where we can't. Uh, but we're just kind of trying to make the best of it that we can. Yeah, and you know, I, I actually saw your your Facebook post about your open mic night being canceled uh, the other day, and that's what I was thinking about. You know, now things like that, restaurants, like like you're saying, I mean, the weather has even more more power than normal. Mother Nature is uh, really gained influence throughout this now because of all these things, you know, that are normally done indoors having to be done outdoors now. Yeah, man, and where we live at the Jersey Shore, um, it's even worse because you know you might you probably I, I'm not I'm not a I don't own a business in that degree, sure, but I, I'm going to guess you make 75, 80% of your money in the summer months, right? Yeah. So you're already, you're already, you know, condensed to about a third of the year. And now you're playing with, you're, you're at half or 25% capacity seating. You're outside only. And if it rains or if a weekend gets rained out, you might lose 10% of your income for the year at this point, which I don't even know how you, how you make that work as a small business. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely. I mean, the, the math of it, uh, you know, yeah, there are so many, only so many weekends and, uh, you know, and now, yeah, with the weather, I mean, weather always plays a major part of the Jersey Shore, as we know, you know, anyways. So now it's just, I mean, it's... Uh, well, the, I, thing I, the, the thing I would say about the weather, you know, everybody saw the, the, the pictures and the videos from DJ's 4th of July weekend, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where there was 500 kids packed in a space that was probably built for 300 kids. Well, like that—that's what would happen if it's a normal summer weekend and it rains. Boré has inside bars where they can sell drinks or serve appetizers or food, right? DJ's has an inside area, outside area. Headliner has the pool and the bar, which is inside. If you have to shut down those outside areas, people have to scatter when it rains or thunderstorms. And number one, it's kind of unsafe. If you got people that have a couple of drinks, run into their car. But secondarily, that means they're not staying in the bar, buying drinks, buying food, tipping the servers. So I think it's, yeah. it's on both ends. Like it's doubly unsafe to be running around during a thunder lightning storm into a car when you've had some drinks. And it's unfair for the bar not to be able to sell any money. So and my heart goes out to everybody in that struggle right now. Absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, just seeing the, the amount of just businesses and just like the, the, the scale of this thing is just something you couldn't even draw up. I mean, you couldn't write a, like a movie <laughs> to just like accurately depict the, the scale of like just – how much this COVID um, really affects, you know, and I wanted to uh, talk about, you know, your journey into comedy. I was, I always admired and respected how you got into this as I know you were already, you know, in, in, you know, in the midst of a successful career as a trainer, which you are still doing. Um, you know, can you share a little of that backstory of how you took the plunge into comedy? Yeah, man. It's, it's weird. It really, it laces into your family a very uh, more than most people think really when I was in high school. Yeah, man, when I was in like elementary school, middle school and the first three quarters of high school till my senior year, I was really into comedy. Like I loved watching comedy on TV and half hour comedy hour on TV and the state Saturday Night Live, all that's the jerky boys, all that stuff in the nineties that people still love today. Right. But I was super quiet. And most of my friends that I hung around with, like, weren't into comedy, didn't think I was funny. My family wasn't particularly entertained by what I thought was funny because I was <laughs> a high school kid. And just, you know, I, I didn't think like a 50-year-old guy at the time. So yeah. me and my dad found different things funny. And then uh, beginning of my senior me and your brother Mike got to be real close. And him and his friends were the opposite. They would just, like, like sit in study hall and, like, dissect Saturday Night Live. Uh -huh. Or just, like, talk about the new Andrew Dice Play special. 
and I'm like, oh, there's other people like me out there. I didn't even realize that was a thing. I thought it was like a unicorn. And then <laughs> and a lot of your, your brother like, dude, you're really funny, man. So then like I started kind of kind of expressing it more, like just kind of not being a class clown, but being like, oh, maybe other yeah, people like gaining some it. confidence with it and have you no know, feeling. Yeah, like, like maybe little... some right, maybe some other people in my math class think this one specific thing about Tom's River is as ridiculous as I think it is. <laughs> and sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. So then you know, I went to college, started another career, um, tried to send some funny emails to my friends, that kind of stuff. Uh, about 10 years ago now, I started doing some YouTube stuff. And then I moved down to Asbury, or I moved down to Long Branch in 2012, 2013, started hanging out Asbury Park and kind of got involved right at the beginning of that kind of, kind of burgeoning comedy, arts, entertainment, music scene. And I've been a part of it for the last seven years, man. It's been really cool. And like anything else, man, it's a mixture of a little bit of, of talent, a little bit of drive, and a lot of being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, you know, and, and my brother, in addition to you telling me some stuff too, my, my brother had, had also kind of told me this, and you could fill in the blanks, like, you know, to kind of get your reps in, which again, with anything, with broadcasting, comedy, you know, being a musical performer, anything like that, it's, you know, really it comes down to reps. Like, you just have to keep doing it, keep, you know, failing, <laughs> getting better, tweaking. You know, my brother said you would you would take the, the you know the train into the city or drive into the city and just go you know study at, at the comedy club or you know try to you know kind of observe and you know t- talk a little about that. Yeah, man. Well, I was living in North Jersey yeah. uh, from 2005 to probably 2012, and around 2007, I just started taking the train to the city um, whenever I could and doing open mics and going to see shows, and it was it was really cool. It was a great time. And uh, your brother was also kind of linked to that because he was living in Hoboken. So, like, a lot of days or nights, I would go do a mic and then come back, meet him for dinner, meet him for a drink, whatever it might be. Yep. Um, and it was cool, man, because his friends were kind of into that world. And I got to meet some people I didn't know, and they got to meet me and my friends. And uh, I think that it's the thing you said, man. It's, it's reps, man. If you're going to do a podcast, whatever you're going to do, you got to do it a lot. And what I, where I really saw that is when we got back to doing open mics that first weekend in July, after nobody had been on stage for three months, the only way to describe it is it looked like the first day of training camp when you're playing sports and everybody's kind of out of shape. Yeah. Or like New Year's Day at the gym when everybody's doing these resolutions but nobody's been on a treadmill in six months. <laughs> it just, like, you know these people and you yeah. know they're funny, but without, no matter how, unless you're like like Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, you know, Bill Burr-level genius, I don't know how you do it without doing it all the time. When you're on, totally. on stage that first time in four months, it's really hard. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because I try to tell people this analogy or, or you know, kind of compare it to, you know, with my stuff with broadcasting, that it's a lot like sports. And I, I feel pompous every time I say it. But in terms of just, again, getting the reps and just like, like I like treat like doing broadcasting stuff or podcast like I would about like trying to build a golf swing, like just keep, you know, you have to keep tinkering with it and just like hitting shots basically to get better. Like, and yeah, and I think, and I'm not obviously not a broadcaster really, like you are, but I think to some extent it, the sports analogy works double because you got to master your fundamentals. So when something comes out of you out of it from left field to extend sports analogy, you know how to handle it because your, your foundation is so secure, right? Yes. And you have and the yeah, muscle, you have the like, muscle memory and, and it's, it's second nature to how you right. react and, like, and you're, you're quick on your feet. Like, at, at no point do Major League Baseball players stop taking ground ball. They never stop taking batting practice, yep. right? Yeah. They, now, they might work on something different than a freshman high school does, but they're still taking 
100 ground balls a day, 100 fly balls a day, whatever, depending on their position. You know what I mean? Um, and it's still important. These guys have been in the league 15 years that still practice, which is, I think, in the broadcasting world, tell me if I'm wrong, the guys that are legends, to some extent, are become legends because they've got the most practice, right? Whether you're love rate Mike Francesa, he's on the air four hours a day for 30 years or whatever, you know, in, yep. in between retirements yeah. and not falling asleep on the air and not <laughs> starting fights with Michael Kay. Um, but no, like, there's something to that, right? He just he does it the most and he got he got better at it than everybody else. Totally. Like, I mean, I will, like, I, I just record stuff, again, just to get the muscle memory, just to, like, you know, because obviously as you progress and evolve in whatever you're doing, again, whether it's broadcasting or comedy or, you know, or anything like that, you know, you start to pick up little, you know, you work on, after you get the fundamentals down, you start to work on inflections of certain words and how you pronunciate little syllables of each word. And, you know, you start trying to really fine tune it. So, you know, it's a constant evolution, it's, like, constant. It's constant. And I think, you know, I take this to my, my day job, which is involved in fitness and athletics. And uh, it's, consistency is more important than almost anything else, right? Totally. If you want to be a podcaster and you do it every Wednesday for five years, you might never put up Joe Rogan numbers, but you will definitely be a better podcaster than the day you start, right? You're, you will get better yeah. at a skill if you do it over and over again. So one place where I think the sports, broadcasting, comedy world absolutely differs, nobody in their right mind watches LeBron James do a dunk and think they could do the same dunk in the same conditions, right? <laughs> What we do is harder because everybody thinks they can do it. How many people tell you, oh, I could have done that news report or I could have called oh, that game. Totally. Or like, oh, I should do, do stand-up. Yeah, I get it. You have a funny story. You tell your friends at the bar whenever he's drunk and they laugh. That's, that's valuable. It's good. You have a great time with it. But that's completely different than what happens on stage at the comedy show. Just like where you, you know, anybody could talk about the news, yeah. for you to do it and, professionally is a completely different ballgame, correct? So, absolutely. So, and with news, you know, when I was learning again, you know, like, again, you, if you strip down all the elements for news, you know, there is just the fundamental question, like, that I, when I walked in, you know, for the first bunch of times I did it on the air, I'm like, all right, well, so what is the top, you know, how do you decide the top story? You know, it's, there's not a, like, a list somewhere of the top stories, you know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're anchoring and you may be in the newsroom alone at that point, there are times where you have to figure out the story order. So I, right. I, I, I it, it became agree? an obsessive thing for me to every day. I, I would compare with my boss at the time, what he would pick as his stories. And I would, so every day I would come in in the morning and I would try to predict what I thought the top stories were and then compare to what he had them every single day until I finally got it to where I would like, we would be like one brain and like right on the same page. Yeah. Do you, do you think the movie Anchorman being a huge hit 15, 16 years ago kind of skewed people's perceptions of newscasters and news anchors? Cause that, in, in that movie, that guy is such a clown. It's very funny. It's totally he, possible. He, 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 it's, he's it's he's totally reading possible. a teleprompter. Right. Yeah. And I think more, and I'm not an expert, but it seems to me like you guys do a whole lot more of writing stories, finding stories, tracking down interviews, Trying to present it in a in a fairly unbiased way, depending on the network. Totally. Um, and it's not just a, a, a guy with a good haircut that can read words slowly scrolling on a screen. Yeah, and and and, and in addition to the the you know the kind of the the, the physical kind of like repetition part of it, and, and and getting the muscle memory down. Now with the the information flow and the technology we have, you know, like even when I started, like you know, really doing the news a lot in like 2009, let's say, you know, there was only so many places to get the news. 
now with all the social media sites, all the news sites being on social media. I mean, the the flow of news, like where you'd be able to usually get, you know, 24, 48 hours to a big story, a big story now is dead in maybe 15 minutes. I mean, it's so... Yeah, it's- and then the other thing I look at where I kind of feel bad for you guys is, is the world we live in where if you flub a name or say something wrong, you got a million social media accounts that want to make fun of you, right, yeah. and repost it. And then you got competing networks that want to discredit everything you said because you were on live TV or live radio and got a fact wrong or got a yeah. name wrong. Well, um, and, and that's something in, in the common world that doesn't exist because yeah. we're I, ideally no one no one really wants to get their information from somebody on stage. But yeah. go ahead. And, well, and, and the trickiest part now is just that it, it now that it has gone from you, you know, things like that where they would you know people would nitpick at, at you know if, if you make a mistake or, or you know flub a word or whatever it may be. Now it's just that if if you aren't reporting what people want the news to be, they think it's fake. <laughs> so I mean, it's just yeah. like like that is like the right now is just the most ridiculous barrier because it's just like you know you you're just trying to say here this is what happened. <laughs> here you go, and now it's it is it's such it's become so just like just insanity that if if it's not what you you know a particular person wants to hear. Now it's a fake news story. So it's, a, it's the, the whole industry is going through a uh, transformation, let's say. Yeah, what, I, what I've said on multiple other podcasts, I feel like in the last like, 10 years, maybe a little longer, you know, conservative and, and liberal has become the new Yankees or Red Sox. Totally, like you just totally. pick a team, you buy the hat, and it doesn't matter how many players on that yeah. team fail drug tests, get suspended for domestic violence, are bad, yeah. or statistically bad players, they make trades you don't want, you just keep rooting for that jersey, no matter if it makes sense to your life or not anymore. And I think I, I, I don't think that's a good direction, man. I'm, I, I think it's, it's as tough. adults, you got to be you got to be a little more discerning and be like, I'm okay with this person on this team, but this, you know, I, I think to just put a hat on for something that important and just ride with that hat, no matter what, isn't the way to go. Yeah, it's become all tribal along the lines of what you're saying. Totally tribal, where you have, you it's more about party loyalty or whatever, you know, loyalty to a side or, or a team and, you know, or, and it's also like where you have to have the same shared enemies. Like, so yeah. whoever it may be on, on whatever side, I mean, it's just like, it, it is evolved. It's it, no, it, exactly. And it's not conducive to just simply get the, you know, like, I, you know, I always just look at this, like, like I, I, I always approach the news and I, and I did news for, for a conservative, uh, pretty conservative station and uh for, for a number of years and i just look at it that here i'm trying to give you the most accurate and important information that you may need for your you know home life your work life your social life you know it could be a little nugget that you could pass on at a party it might be information you need for your commute because there's going to be a storm you know and here i'm just trying to give you a, a snapshot of the most important information and now it's just become where yeah, like like you, Yankees Red Sox is a pretty fair, you know, pretty fair metaphor for it. I mean, at this point, it's it's wild, like what it's become in literally less than a decade. Yeah, I'd say from I'd say two thousand eight, maybe to be the Obama first election until now, it's just really split in half and polarized. At least in my lifetime, polarized us more than we've ever been. Yeah, and and it's just you know it's just disappointing because it's like now it, like. It, people don't even hear what the other side's saying. Everybody just talks like like 
at each, you know, like like through each other. You know, nobody talks with each other. Dude, it's 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 it's, it's a Sunday. It's watching Sunday football in the bar, and everybody's drunk, screaming why their team's yeah. best. Uh, and, and with zero, most people in the conversation know very little about the game they're talking about. Right? They were not players. They were not owners. They're not super invested in it beyond they just want to yell and be drunk and crazy. And then they're they're. They don't know enough. They're unwilling to listen to the other argument ever. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then and then you factor in the you know different networks and and stations that are manipulating that for for their own benefit and you know profit. Where you know so now they're kind of like weaponizing that whole kind of environment, and it's just like dumping gasoline on it. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. You, you know, you, you, people are in their own little rabbit hole again, whatever side maybe on and it's just they are getting one snapshot of one side of information and then you know so anything that goes against that is just like ready to like it just makes the whole thing ready to pop off it's just a it's become wild (laughs) really has been it's uh yeah crazy times um the only thing i wanted to talk about angela you know you we we talked a little bit how you're a trainer as well as in your in your day job and you've had a pretty like pretty like I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, you, you know, a, a lengthy, successful, you know, and, and, you know, career with some pretty cool stories, pretty cool, you know, people you've gotten to work with. I, so, you know, speaking of my brother, I remember, and this is basically kind of pre or early internet days and, and certainly before <laughs> good smartphones and, and that kind of thing. You were, you were a trainer at, at Virginia tech and Vic's name was Michael Vic. That is, was just starting to kind of, burst onto the scene and I remember my brother saying oh yeah my friend Angelo you know works with him and I and rightly like, kind of like right after that was the game against uh Florida State where he just went off and uh, it was just and what you know what are some of you know like, like cool stories or anything you could say about working with Vic during that time period now uh, I'll say this man again it's almost what happened kind of at very Park I was in the right place at the right time yeah. I was a graduate assistant strength coach every two years at Virginia Tech while I was getting on a master's degree. Uh, and I worked with the team for, from 99 and 2000. So 99 was Vic's breakout year. He was a redshirt freshman in 98. He was the, the most popular college football player in the country in 1999. And then in 2000, he got hurt a couple games in. Well, in 99, we played for the national championship against Florida State, like you said, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in, in 2000, he got hurt and missed a couple games, and we played in a Gator Bowl against, I believe, Clemson. It's a long time ago now, right? Mm-hmm. So, And then he got drafted by the Falcons and had – he was one of most highly had a rookie, a couple of really cool Mikey commercials. And then, unfortunately, the, the dogfighting situation yeah. kind of ended his career, and I believe it was 2007. He worked like a lunatic. He was the biggest, strongest, most athletic guy you'd ever see, especially for a quarterback. So no surprises there. When you worked with him and, and just saw him, you know, in games, practices, I mean, before, like, he, the buzz really exploded. I mean, was it just evident how good he was? Like, I mean, was it Dude, like... it looked like it looked like you were playing Madden with a cheat code. Okay. Because um, there wasn't – I mean, there was a couple quarterbacks that were kind of like that before, right? Yeah, but not to um, that level with, like, the – Not to – they, like that fat, that elusive, that athletic, that big of an um, arm, that yeah, just all of it, man. Like it looked like it wasn't even possible. And then you know, at the time, Virginia Tech was in the Big East for football, which wasn't a great conference. And we, I know, we played a bunch of bad non-conference teams early, where he looked even more amazing. You, yeah. that, you know, college football will do that when you play when you're Michigan and you play Appalachian State. 
all you guys look like Superman. You know what I mean? But he looked like he looked like Thanos with the all the Infinity Stones kind of thing when we played those teams. Absolutely. And uh, you, you were also at NC State when Philip Rivers was there. Yeah. Um, trying to th- I think I was there the whole four years he played because I briefly got drafted in 04, the same year as Eli and Roethlisberger. Um, yeah, yes, and yes, he yes. was a guy, he was kind of, he wasn't the most athletic guy, right? But he was a bit, you could tell he was super smart, super into preparation, and weirdly already pretty family-oriented. I think that the, the woman he'd been married to for all these years, I think she was with him in college, um, and just kind of like super mature. Like, you know in college, there's some guy, if you're like a college yeah. party or football game or something, there's some of the kids look like kids, and some of the students look like kid dads. Yeah. He was like that mix. Like well, he had like dad swag when he was like 19. Yeah, and he, well, his dad is 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 or was a, a high school coach, and yeah, he, right. I, I sort of, what I'd always heard about him too is that he like acted like a pro when he was in, in college, basically, like in terms of preparation, how he carried himself and all that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one thing that when we look at second generation professional athletes, look at Phil Rivers, you look at Kobe Bryant, you look at guys like that where their parents had a, a history in sports, it kind of makes sense, right? Because number yeah. one, you're going to get the genetics passed down. Just genetically, you're going to be in a better position to succeed. But secondarily, you've been around it your whole yeah. life. So, so you the know, same way, like yeah. somebody that grows up in New Jersey and grows up in the construction industry knows that game because they've been doing it every yeah. summer since they're 12. Steph Curry knows how to navigate the NBA because he did it with yeah. his dad for he, 20 years before he got. Yeah, the no, it's um, totally. I mean, I mean, even. Look at Patrick Mahomes. You know, he just got his huge contract yesterday. I mean, his dad obviously played baseball, but he he was. And I agree with what you're saying. He he was in the lock. He was in the clubhouses, so he knew how to carry himself as a pro athlete. Like he he, he knows. Right. And knew. they and they see that preparation. I mean, that's yeah. another thing. You see, like if I, I it's a cliche, but I'll say it, man. If I had a dollar for every guy or girl I came across in my career that had insane physical gifts but couldn't pull together the mental side, I'd be a millionaire, yeah. right? So you get the, but when you get that mix of your parents gave you great genetics and one or one or both of your parents can teach you about the preparation, both physically and mentally, yeah. and even even emotionally. How do you bounce back from a loss? How do you bounce yeah. back from an interception? How do you bounce back from a strikeout in the bottom of the ninth and get ready to play the next next day? Um, I think that's invaluable. That maybe if your family wasn't in that line of work, you might not know, or it might take you longer to learn it. Uh, I'm sure you know, and just even like little things, like you know, if, if in your preparation, like. If you know what to wait, what to spend your time on, and what you know things to not spend your time on, even in in the midst of practice, like what okay, maybe I shouldn't do this drill or do you know or focus on this today or that. I mean, those little kind of things, you know, I'm sure are what give the edge. Right, and and there's another another layer to it is your parents know the path to get to the big leagues, right? So when yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. Is, is growing up, his dad is if he's going to a little league game, he's like, all right, your hitting coach is pretty good. Your head coach isn't going to get it done, so you got to either you know that's your guy, that's your hitting coach, or we got to go to another team. We got to get you to this showcase camp. They're real coach, not just stealing your money. There's going to be real coaches to give you an opportunity. Obviously, Ken Griffey Jr. was not going to showcase camps, but yeah. that kind of thing where it's like here's the here's the path of least resistance to get you to making money as soon as possible. I traveled that path myself. All my friends, family, contacts know that path. We're going to put you on that path together, as opposed to you're just an athletic kid whose parents you know, regular jobs, they, they don't know. They just don't know. Totally. And uh, I just wanted to also touch on, uh, you're you're doing a podcast now. What? Tell me a little bit about that and, and give yourself a, a, yeah. a plug on it. Cool, man. We, me and a very early quarantine, 
a bunch of like 20 of my cousins got on a Zoom call. It was like a virtual cocktail party, right? And we, yep. we had fun with it for the night. Like one of the first Saturday of the quarantine. And then I have a, I, I'm 42 years old. I got a cousin that's 33 named Mike Casal. I got a cousin that's 23 named Kenny Nicosia. And even though we're all nine years apart, we've always been close. Like we went to a wedding, we'd all hang out together. Yeah. If we went to a birthday, we'd, we'd be the boys. You know what I mean? Um, so it hit me on the Zoom call. I'm like, what if we took the three of us, three guys, three decades, and, and just talked about different things from different perspectives? So if we talk about music, Kenny's coming at it from an age group that he never paid for music in his life, right? He loves EDM. He goes to festivals and, and raves and stuff like that, mm. and he's totally in that world, right? Yep. Mike's 33. Mike's going to bars. He's liking, liking cover bands. He likes Springsteen. And I'm, I'm 42, and I'm, I'm pretty into music now for someone my age. But, like, I'm, I'm steep in 90s hip-hop, right? <laughs> like, I'm trying to yeah. explain to them why Illmatic is so great, and they're just like, I don't get it. And maybe they shouldn't <laughs> get it. If, if, you were, if you were born in 1996 like Kenny, maybe Biggie doesn't resonate with you. Yeah. The same way, like, Marshmallow might not resonate with me. Um, but it's been cool, man. I've been talking about different topics. Uh, interviewing some cool people at the Jersey Shore. We'd like to have you on at some point. We try yeah. to hook up with our podcast as Absolutely. much as possible. Absolutely. Um, but it's, it's good, man. They've been really fun to work with. And it's a kind of cool thing where, uh, you know, people don't spend the other time with their family. And I got to hook up my two cousins and do something pretty fun. No doubt. Uh, what's the name of it? And where, where can people hear it? Uh, it's called Me and My Cousins. It is available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. If you do the iTunes route, please rate, review, and subscribe because we got a good show now. It'll be a whole lot better. It was immediately preceded by two to three minutes of me reading ads from paid sponsors. So please help me make that happen. <laughs> and uh, let me <laughs> let me just close with, with a few rapid fire ones. Uh, mainstream sports, uh, not mainstream, major team sports. Do you think they're actually starting back up? It seems like hockey's gonna gonna do it. It seems like the NBA has a plan in place to play in Orlando. Uh, real quick rapid fire I think it's going to come back I don't think it makes any sense I think the, the way they're going to come back with the shortened seasons and, and weird playoff structures no one's going to go to see the games it'll be a nice distraction on TV but whoever wins these championships is going to be such a big asterisk next to their name I don't even know what it means uh, how about kids being back in school in September yes because I think parents are going to sign every petition respond to every email be picketing outside until I take these kids off our hands. Um, the, the administrators are going to make it happen. <laughs> and uh, next time you think we get to watch a comedy show, a concert, anything like that indoors, dude, I hate to say it, but I think it might be twenty twenty one. I mm. really it, just the way things are going and yeah. the way they're they're having yeah. to constantly make it the more contained than they thought they would. It seems like it's going to be a while. What do you think on that one? I think until there's some sort of vaccine or better, you know, or like treatment that really can, you know, do, do, you know, make a dent into this thing. I, I think until yeah. there's some, you know, form of those or because basically the treatments now are kind of just like maintenance and like trying to like, you got to catch it early enough to where it, then it's effective. But I, I think until there's a, a vaccine or, a, you know, a major treatment that can knock the thing out, I, I just can't see it uh, it's just yeah it's just going to constantly be like a snowball effect and uh, uh i won't ask you to handicap the the upcoming election <laughs> no don't ask me that but I'll, I'm, gonna say two, I'm gonna say two things as yeah. somebody who's involved in sports they're gonna get a i don't know if everyone's thought about this yet if we play games in empty arenas right 
and they don't pump in some kind of crowd noise or music constantly, we're going to hear these players say some things that we are not <laughs> ready to hear them say, okay? And then number two, when they put the NHL and the NBA in these pub cities, you got to remember something. These guys have been holed up with their wives and families for three to four months. When they get out and they hit the streets and all the groupies and fans have also been quarantined for three months, it is going to be a, it's going to be all-star weekend, except it's going to be 10 times as many guys and three weeks instead of three days. <laughs> all right. Angelo, thank you so much for, for a few minutes. We really appreciate it. And uh, let's do this again soon. Thank you very much, man. Looking forward to hearing this. Appreciate it. Keep up the good work. A big thanks to Angelo Gingerelli for joining me on the debut episode of the Make or Break podcast. Please subscribe, share, and look out for more upcoming episodes. I'm Matt Breaker. Thank you for listening.